in his life, uh, how the Lord led them to my holding as missionaries many years ago. And so, just want to kind of give you that heads up. It's a blessing. The best to get that out here. Six four six. Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war.
finally someone came to rescue him. But then that someone, imagine this told if you look carefully, there are footsteps or uh, places where if you watch carefully, you step on them and you're going to walk right through this place without sinking. The Lord put that in my mind as I see his face and says, Look for my footprints. I'll lead you through this experience. Footsteps of Jesus. Sweetly, Lord, have we heard. Of living water. 
Jesus said. A river touches places of which its sources knows nothing. And Jesus said, if we have received of his fullness, however small the visible measure of our lives, out of us will flow the rivers that will bless to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have nothing to do with the outcome. This is the work of God, that you believe. God rarely allows a soul to see how great a blessing he is. A river is victoriously persistent. It overcomes all barriers. For a while, it goes steadily on its course. Then it comes to an obstacle. And for a while, it is blocked. Or we would say, damn, it's damn done. But it soon makes a pathway around the obstacle, or a river will drop out of sight from miles, and presently emerge again broader and grander than ever. You can see God using some lives, but into your life, an obstacle has come, and you do not seem to be any use. Keep The river of the Spirit of God overcomes all obstacles. Never get your eyes on the obstacle or on the difficulty. The obstacle is a matter of indifference to the river which will flow steadily through you if you remember to keep right at the source. Never allow anything to come between yourself and Jesus Christ. No emotion or experience. Nothing must keep you from the one great sovereign source. Think of the healing and far-flung rivers nursing themselves in our souls. God has been opening up marvelous truths to our minds, and every point he has opened up is an indication of the wider power of the river he will flow through us. If you believe in Jesus, you will find that God has nourished you in mighty torrents of blessings for others. As I was sharing with one of the seniors here last night, she asked if we would pray. She has a grandson who has been um, has been trait. He's had long issues. He's now 27 years old, special needs in numerous ways. And just this past week, he.
is what we say. And he can do this. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And I bless you for the opportunity to lift up this young man. Forgot his name, but Lord, I pray that you would minister your grace to him. You know his name. You know who he is, Lord. You created him. And we lift him up and pray that you would touch him and heal him. But most importantly, Lord, I don't know if he really knows you as his personal Savior or what his relationship with you is like, but you do. You see him to his heart. And I pray that you would redeem him, Lord, that you would draw him to yourself, that you, Lord Jesus, would save his soul to the uttermost. And that he's saved and he knows you. I pray that you would encourage him by the Holy Spirit and touch his physical body and heal him. Oh, Lord, we lift him up before you and ask you to transform his life through your power. Father, we pray for all the lives around us, each one of us, Lord, who need the touch of Jesus in our lives. We need your grace every day to be changed into your image. Lord Jesus, to be empowered in our inner being so that we can walk, Lord Jesus, as you walk in your footsteps and, and preach the gospel and share it not only from our heads, but from our hearts, from our life experiences, as you empower us to live a life that is victorious over our flesh, over sin, and over the, all the things the world may have to offer us. Lord, we come to you this morning, rejoicing in your power, and believing that you again can refresh us with a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Songs that we were able to sing together. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we lift up our broken lives before you. You see our greatest need to be changed into your And you can do it. And I just thank you again this morning, with my brothers and sisters, for your power, your love, and your Holy Spirit that you so freely give to us can take these vessels of clay, these broken pottery vessels, and you, Lord, bless the pottery, and change them into your beauty, into your likeness, for your glory, and make us useful for your kingdom, in Jesus' name. Is there anyone else who would like to pray have a prayer request? Feel free to just go ahead and pray
Three or four weeks ago, got to go home one day, and then we came out to see the children and grandchildren. So uh, thank you for this. This is something we need to do when we come home, is show the ministry to um, churches and, and see what the Lord has in store for us all and just watch the Lord work. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into it. Father, we love you so much. and. Just thank you for your provisions, the way you feed us, clothe us, and, and have saved us, changed us. And Lord, I certainly pray if there's someone here today that does not know you, um, that they would um, have the seed sown. Lord, I don't have necessarily a gospel message prepared, but Lord, you do great things. And Lord, I just see this pastor and... Lord, the joy, I like this pastor, Lord, I like his joy, I like the way he's preaching continually, and I appreciate his wife and her joy and her children, Lord, I just appreciate what you're doing and how you put men where you put them, and Lord, we are just at your mercy this morning with, with thinking of resurrection morning, how that you rose from the dead, and Lord, how that you... Uh, you lived a perfect life and, and died a sacrificial death for us and rose from the dead and uh, made it possible for us to be saved and to have eternal life. We just thank you, Father, for becoming man and living among us and, and paying the ultimate price for our salvation. We just honor you and want to um, recognize that before the people and Lord, we love you. It's totally dependent on you and want to be dependent on you. Now, if anything, I've got my little notes, Lord, and um, anything you want to change or rearrange, it's, uh, we just ask you to uh, have your liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and we know that you're everywhere. We know that we're in a family meeting. We have your precious word opened, and Lord, we believe every word. We believe every word of the word of God, and we know that the word is alive it's real, it's honest, it changes us. And when we look into this precious Word and see you, see your um, image, your truth, your works, it changes us, it transforms us. And that's what we're looking to today, that, Lord, you would guide us. And we just trust you and ask you for that peace and liberty and, and to not be too short or too long and just to rest that you have a plan for today. And we, we love you, Lord, and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to just tell you about the ministry in a nutshell. And um, I, want it to, I want you to really think about what I'm saying and just see the work of God, see what He's done, and, and see it big. Amen. And then I want to 
drop back and give you my testimony and see me how little, <laughs> see it little, see me little, and realize, wow, God's doing something because that dude sure can't do this, you know. So I, I want to do that. I want to tell you about the ministry. Basically, we call ourselves Mongolian Missions. It's Trina and I. Um, the Lord called us, actually a couple of days ago was our 17th anniversary of being there. And so we raised support for two or three years and then we did a little missions training and we'd already been to Bible school and had our children. We were like 40 when the Lord called us. So anyhow, so um, uh, the ministry, we built it on four foundations, church planting or four cornerstones or four platforms, whatever you want to call it. This, this is the way we label what we're doing. We're church planters. And that's the first thing. Everything includes, or everything is built on going to all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples. That's, that's what we, our calling is. So church planting, of course, is number one. And then leadership training. You basically need to train men, disciple men, and tell the faithful men, the people, hey, you need to tell your brothers. You need to tell your mother. You need to tell people about Jesus when you get saved. So, and then we take that into the men that are called and just work. So church planting, leadership training, then gospel publishing. I was a printer before the Lord called me um, into, I did work probably seven years at a printing ministry, printing gospel tracts. So I knew uh, gospel publishing would be part of what the Lord would have us do. So that is what we're doing. Um, publishing, printing, translating the Word of God, and then strategic endeavors, which we'll get into more. I'm a potter by trade for years, 30 years I've been a potter. I've also been doing this, rock masonry, uh, most of my life, and had a little, worked with a man full-time in rock masonry and did pottery on the side and was a printer for our ministry. So my life was kind of... Um, I worked for a ministry for 160 bucks a week, nine hours a day. Then I would go home, do pottery, four or five hours a day. And on Friday, Saturday, not Sunday, but Friday and Saturday, I would go into Cincinnati and would lay rock for a, a businessman in church. So that was kind of who we were. Trina's a graphic artist for the ministry. So strategic endeavors, we've always had a little business on the side, so... Strategic Endeavors is basically teaching other men how to go into closed country, have some kind of business, and not just be the religious man. We know we're the religious man. We know we're the saved man, a missionary, but places are closed. You need another reason on your visa to be there, and then you don't need a lie. I'm here doing this, and you're really not. You're just preaching the gospel. You need to do something to get into country. So that's one part of our ministry. Is this making sense so far? Some of you are looking crazy. I'm going to talk fast because you don't look crazy, but you're looking at me crazy. <laughs> um, so I, um, I want to make sense, but I kind of want to talk fast to get through some information. And, and I, but I want to glorify the Lord in the, in, in the ministry. So um, church planting, when, when I arrived into Mongolia, we, we were in the capital city for about nine months. And our visa, I'm a potter, so I went to the American Embassy and I said, hey, you know, I'm a businessman, I want to do business here in Mongolia, and we want to maybe, you know, we want to start a pottery business here. And he said, he saw right through it, okay, now, if you're coming here to do mission work, <laughs> I just want you to know that if you're going to be a potter, do a business, you need to do it. Just do what you say you're doing and then... 
do your missionary work, but tell the truth. You know, because a lot of missionaries set up a kind of a fake, um, uh, not to throw off on missionaries, but there's just, we're figuring this out, how to get into closed countries. We set up a business and we say we're going to do this and that, and we have everything legitimate, we have a bank account, and then we just minister. And it kind of cuts our legs out from under us because everybody knows you're not really doing what you say. But when you do what you say, you have all these natural contacts and you have all these people involved in your life and it's very naturally unfolds that you begin to witness and be given to hospitality, have people over and, you know, that kind of thing. You hire people into your business and then they're your friends and you win them to the Lord and it's just a very natural thing. The lie or the, the fake setup is kind of gets you in trouble. So that's what this embassy guy was saying. So we, we rented a little small room. This is totally not what all I was going to tell you guys. But, um, so we rented this little small room by this um, kind of expat or um, foreigner restaurant where a lot of people would go. So we rented a little room, found a bunch of artists, put their bar, bought some of their art, put it in there, established an art gallery, and then we were had our visas, and then we left to the middle of kind of nowhere in the country. The country's got three million people, one million live in this one city, and then the rest of the country's twice the size of Texas, and just little people everywhere. So we moved 25-hour drive away from the capital city, right under Siberia, 80 miles from Russia, no electricity, no water. We got our water out of a lake and outhouse, and it's... 20, 30, 40 below zero through the winter, and and uh, we bought us a hut. You know, it's a little like a teepee with straight walls, kind of an igloo-looking thing, and it's wrapped with animal hair and canvas. And so then you, we all six moved into this one-room thing, about 16-foot circle, and then we started figuring out, okay, how do you take a bath? Where do you go to the bathroom? How does this work? You know, and and so. Same with the church. I get into this village and it's a little valley with mountains and I'm walking around the mountains and saying, Lord, I don't speak the language. I, um, I don't even, how do we do this? You know, now we've had our training, a little training, Bible school, how to start a church and this and that. And it's like, Lord, how do you start a church? <laughs> what do I do? You know, I, this is... You know, you don't go knocking on doors and say, I want to tell you about Jesus, you know. I mean, it's like, it would be like a, a Hindu coming into this town and settling in and starting, I want to tell you about Hinduism. You know, it's just like, it was just like, what I do? And I was praying and praying and, and I, we just set our place up and, and I said, Lord, what do I do first? And just the thought came to mind, I knew it was Lord. Well, why don't you dig a toilet? You need a toilet. <laughs> so your toilet is you have to dig this, dig a hole about six foot wide, six, eight foot long, and it's just a 14 foot hole, and you build a little building on it with a hole in it to go to the bathroom, right? So we started digging our toilet. That was my first way to go. Next thing you know, the neighbor comes over, then other neighbors, and people are helping, and, and things start to happen, and, and I had a translator come and live with us to help us get going. And after a few weeks, she says, Hey, Mickey, Uncle wants to tell you something. And, I, and he sits down and he says, he says, I want you to know that um, I pray for my food. And so I'm like, it's good. And I was thinking, 
He's saying, okay, he's, we've been praying for our lunch every day, saying thanks. And still now he's saying, now at home, we're saying thank you to God for our food. So it just unfolded like that. Next thing you know, he asked me to teach him about I'm not asking him, witnessing to him anything. He's just kind of with us and saying, you know, I, I don't know that I was with me. As a Christian, you're witnessing and you don't even know it. You're saying things about the Lord, you're praying and... But it wasn't super intentional, but the ministry just started unfolding, and then they were like asking me to teach the Bible, which was really cool, you know. And then next thing you know, I said, okay, next Sunday we'll have a Bible study at 3 o'clock. And there was eight couples came to our house, and it was just, it just started. And it was like amazing. We were just living, and it was like we built this place, and, and you know, you're trying to figure out you know, like we put our hut up and then you have to put a fence around. I'm thinking, I'm not going to put a fence around my house because it's like, stay away. Well, shoot, everything's disappearing. <laughs> Gas can disappears. <laughs> oh, I see why you build a fence, you know. Um, somebody, so I chained the bike, kids' bikes to the tree and somebody stole the pedals off the bikes. You know, <laughs> somebody stole our volleyball net. So it's like, okay, we got to build a fence. So, Everybody's fence is all funny, you know, and and so I start building a fence, and I just couldn't make my boards all crooked like theirs. So you know how we are—we put our level on, <laughs> you know, our boards are perfect, and I'm building. It's kind of a privacy type fence, and so I'm building this, and I'm telling Trina, I feel guilty. Our fence is so perfect looking, and theirs is all crooked we're not going to be like them and I just couldn't make myself build a crooked fence you know so I mean I pull the line and it's going with the land and it's all straight and perfect and I said oh, I would just do it and and then I get somebody at our door and this couple was there these two ladies actually were there and they said the governor wants to speak to you he'll be here at four o'clock today you know, and I, oh no here it goes first problem you know <laughs> so he comes over and he sits down and does all the traditional stuff. And then he says, the reason I came was, you know, we as, I just as the governor want to thank you for your straight fence. <laughs> I'm like, wow. He said, this is a good example for the community. So it was like, wow, this missionary thing's easy. You know, this is just be a Christian and it, something happens. You know, the church starts, you're in with the government. So it was really... It was really interesting to watch the Lord unfold the church. And so then, then we were in and we're teaching like from creation to Christ. Who is God? You know, you have to start at the beginning and you're taking them through the prophecies of Christ. I mean, through the fall, through the flood. And you're just bringing them through the big things in the Bible, the big picture to give them the big picture and the, the prophecies of Christ, the deliverers coming and and so we're, we're giving the gospel um, for months. And I was using like a new tribes curriculum, which kind of, which does that. But it was so long, like one lesson I was going through was taking too long. So people would change over. They'd be, okay, you got somebody there for a couple weeks, then they kind of drift out and you got someone there missing the first part. So anyhow, I don't know why I'm saying all that, except we learned as we were going and so they're really listening. You try not to, to bring them the name of Jesus till you get into it more, the story more. You don't start out with Jesus. You start out with who is God. There's one God and you bring them to Jesus. And so as we're about to really get into the gospel, 
uh, my son, my under uh, my Jonah. I have Judah, Jonah, Jesse, Jesse, and Jazaniah. So Judah's here. And the next son, two years younger, he was held. Trina, nine or ten, twelve maybe, twelve. And he got in a, the horse dog came out and spooked his horse, and his foot was stuck in the stirrup. The horses kicked him here and broke his jaw and kicked him in the head, and he's unconscious for weeks. And we fly him out, and it's like tore the Mongolians up, you know. And so when we come back, he finally wakes up after almost three weeks. And and but how? However, I mean, of course the the. The Lord is going to bless that. But Satan's fighting. Things are going on. But when we came back, it was like they were funny about it. They were like, wow, you know, that boy should be dead. You know, it's like something happened in their heart. They saw me as this hero, like I saved my son. And they saw him. They called me the great father and the strong son, you know, and like this great thing happened. They even wrote something in the paper in the town 25 hours away that the, um, the American guy rose his son from the dead. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. But it was, gave us great favor in the village, and you can never plan and figure that stuff out. It just, it's just amazing how the Lord works. And so... So after that, as we continued in the gospel, 21 people got saved and baptized. And, and we basically had no trouble until we had that baptism. And then, boy, it shook. People were getting life threats, and I was, guys threatened to stab me. So they, they're seeing the religious man and the religious stuff, and the people are changing. And it's like, you know, the Mongolians are not Mongols anymore. They're... This foreign god, they're, they're forsaking Mongolia. And so, just all this is happening, you know. Boy, I did have none of this planned. So, this is church planting in our situation. And it's amazing. At this point, I'm going to try to move on. Basically, our church is under national leadership. Um, you're going into a situation where um, the gospel's been maybe 20, 25 years in the whole country compared to, say, Mexico, where it's been five, 600 years. So, you have first-generation Christians and like the Corinthians Christians and, you know, to have men that, you know, they say 80, 90-something percent of the men are alcoholic, which is a huge number, but everything that goes with alcoholism and the women basically are dominant and lead the home. There's a lot of incest. There's just drunkenness, wife-beating, and it's just a hard situation to for a man to step up and be pastor. So you're working with these men and we work, poured our life into men for two or three years and then they, they fall out or they get a job somewhere. When you're in a little village, if you can get a job in Russia or, or somewhere, this one guy's working with his math teacher and he got a job, so he left. So we work with these men to try to train them, they leave. We work with them. So it's been 18 years and in our hearts we still haven't accomplished having a pastor. So... So two, three years ago, we brought a man in, a finished Bible school, and began to train him. We asked him for two years to let us train you and work with you. And after two years, we just um, ordained him pastor last this uh, spring. So that's exciting. We have national uh, pastor now, and we're starting to work in another church plant and this type of thing. So each missionary, each country is different, you know, um, 
you never, you can't have this little plan from school. I mean, you better have the Lord <laughs> and prayer and the gospel and discipling men in mind and go with the flow of the country. Who are these people and how does this work? And the Lord has to lead us as individuals through our personal walk with Him. And, and you, you kind of learn the, the culture as you go and this and that. And, and so church planting is, is the number one. And we have um, evangelistic outreach where we're, we're printing and driving out to far villages and getting the gospel in and um, Bible distribution, uh, youth camp, um, these kinds of things what we've been working hard on. So we've established the church, we've established a youth camp in our church planting. And we could go on and on with that, but church planting. Then leadership training. Our focus has been on the church and camp, um, and that's established. Then our focus now recently has been, or I say recently, the last few years, has been on seven men in the church that we're discipling and training, taking on the Bible distribution um, Teaching them to work with a new pastor who never had a pastor. Just teaching them your, your basic... Really, we're training them to be church planners and they don't necessarily know it yet. But we're really just getting the fundamentals and, and making the trips. And I, I'm uh, watching them when we go to these village and there's no church or there is a church and it's in, it's in bad shape or there's like one old woman there and, and a few teenagers and... The pastor left two years ago, and these kind of things, they're just struggling little pods of believers everywhere that really need pastors, and the men, I can tell, are naturally saying, hmm, you know, they're becoming burdened. So that's unfolding too, so it's like I don't really know how to do all this except follow the Lord. I'm not want to say I'm just totally ignorant in it, but to know how to work with my group of men, and my, it has to be, you have to just be praying and walking with the Lord and, and going, not going with the flow in a cheap way, but going with the Lord and the Spirit of God. And, and you can't just have, okay, in five years, you know, I'm going to go in, establish this church, have a pastor and leave to start another church is what we're taught in school. It just doesn't work like that, you know. Maybe if you go to the Philippines and people that have had a gospel for years and years and, you know, you can have a model, but some places there's just nothing going to work. You go with what you, what the Lord leads you. So, um, leadership training, basically you're training men to be pastors. So, my focus has been on these men with these mission trips, daily Bible study. They work for me. We're working. We, we have bought a big old Russian factory that's kind of the ruins, you know, but we are remodeling this place. So, working in youth camp, coming alongside the pastor, um, but that's a focus now in our church planning is starting more churches and training men to start churches. Um, also, with this facility, um, we've been remodeling. Um, I'm learning to be a builder. We've been remodeling this factory for the last 10 years, which I could just tell you some amazing stuff. You couldn't drive across the property without falling in some underground tunnel with heating system and you know, we built the fence around it all by hand. We dug 400 posts with a rod and a cup and cut the fence. You know, so it's a long process in this facility uh, to be a training pioneer youth camp type center. So that's always been a focus. And um, 
that type of thing. We have youth camp, kitchens, the school startings, and so on. So we're talking about leadership training is what that's involved in. And then I just totally left out the third one, gospel publishing. I have the fourth one, strategic endeavors, so it's not in my notes. But our, I'm basically a printer um, in the past for seven years, printing gospel tracks at Fellowship Track League, Lebanon, Ohio. And Trina was a graphic artist, so we knew the Lord would have us do this publishing. We started researching the Bible there. There's, there's like uh, a couple of Bibles there with different terminologies about God. There's a fight, and just they were weak. They weren't accurate, so we we're calling different people and calling the Trinitarian Bible Society and trying to pull men together. And the Lord just blessed and gave us some great men to help us and guide us and I can't even speak English, most less translate. I don't know English grammar hardly at all. My poor language teacher, she has to teach me. I say, well, what is an adverb again? You know, she has to teach me English before she can teach me Mongolian. <laughs> I, just, I just don't have it. So, um, but basically, you know, the Lord's given us men in the printing and in the, um, all the work that that's involved. We've been working 12, 13 years on translating 78 volumes of Sunday School Curriculum to the six-year program for, for people. So there's just a lot going on that's beyond us. And, and to watch the Lord work, we had um, a church here that wanted to put, print the book of Mark for us. And um, I said, well, we're printers here. We have our, we're set up. That's why we're here is to print. And they said, well, we just want to do it. And we have other churches that will staple and put the book of Mark. And it said, um, you know, we want to send you... Two to four hundred thousand. Okay, that's and then <laughs> so the, they paid for everything, paid for the container, and so we're receiving this. You know, there's only three million people in the country, and so this this Mongolian pastor that works within the city, he's kind of laughing like this is just dumb. You know, what are you going to do with four hundred? It's going to take you twenty years to get these out, and that's a Bible for every family in the whole country. You know, and he's like. Um, He's a real man of faith, and it was sad to hear you say that, but I know what he was saying. <laughs> I certainly felt it too. What are we going to do with these? Stick them in the warehouse for the next 20 years? Because we've been Bible distributing, and you can only get so many Bibles out in a village, you know. Little book of Mark. So then we had this ministry call us and said, hey, the Lord's really put it on our heart to flood the country with the gospel. And that's my calling, you know, to flood the country. That's part of what I've been praying for 20 years. I want to saturate the ground with the gospel. And he says, we are, um, we're going to send, we're not on tape, are we? Are we on video? Will we be streamed? But, okay, good. Let's have faith. Okay, so this, these guys came in and said, we're going to send a thousand people in here. And we're going to, if you can help us find some Bibles and uh, it's, I said, well, I have 400,000. <laughs> they took them all. And they're getting, they're almost all out. It's unbelievable. Only God can do that kind of stuff. So it's amazing. There's so much detail you could go into the printing. I mean, that's our calling. That's, a, that's what we build our ministry on is um, we finished the New Testament. Uh, translation has taken us almost nine years. We're in the, New, the Old Testament now. Um, so we're checking and checking our New Testament, getting things right. Pastors are reading and checking our English grammar, and just, not English, Mongolian grammar and things getting right. And 
um, then the Old Testament's easier and faster. So I'd say within three years, we're going to have the whole Bible finished. So, but we are printing some of the New Testament, and so on and so on. So, so gospel publishing is part of what we do. And, and then strategic endeavors. I told you I was a potter, how we got in. And that's basically, I'm just going to run through that, what we're training and want to train these men. How, not just how to go overseas in a closed country, but how to go into your own villages you know, with a trade, with a, so I'm a potter, and I'm teaching pottery, and going to teach metal work, kind of like shaker type metal work, uh, lights, and different things like that, and then we have a lot of yaks, um, the wool and the yarn from yak is very um, desired, and camel wool, that type of thing for tourism to buy, so we're teaching that, we have the carter, the spinning wheels, and all the things to to train and teach um, felt work, that type of thing. And, and so carpentry, mostly woodwork, making boxes that they paint and can sell. We have a lot of tourism. Mongolia is a very desired place to go check out. It's kind of the last nowhere place, you know, in the middle of nowhere. So that's what we're doing um, in the ministry. Um, so in a nutshell, that is the ministry. That's a big nutshell, I guess. But I hope you can see that God is doing great things, and it, it's a good, good thing. What time am I supposed to quit? Please tell me the truth. And I got 20 minutes. 20 minutes, right? Perfect, perfect. Okay, that was kind of long. But So basically, I'm Mickey Coper from North Carolina. Um, I met my wife. So I'm a southerner. And I met my wife uh, in Bible school. She's a Yankee from Michigan. So where I'm from, we're still in the Civil War, and my family's never really got over that, you know. So I'm not kidding. But uh, we've been married 34 years. We have four children. Judah's the oldest at 29, and Jay Azaniah's 21. He's at Bob Jones University, and I'm going to finish up this year and come and work with us full time. So... That's exciting. Trina, so I grew up, um, I got saved at 10, which I'll get into that in a minute, but Trina grew up in Michigan, Roman Catholic. Her people are from, you know, two generations back, were from Malta, where Paul shipwrecked with, with those, the people there, and so they're very Catholic. And my family is kind of bootleggers, outlaws, that kind of hers are doctors and lawyers and, and such. As Willie says, or Waylon says. So anyhow, so she's from the super educated, and I'm from the, you know, here's how you make money, here's how you shoot pool kind of people, you know. So she was in the Catholic Church, went through the Catholic schools, and wanted to be a nun. She has two or three aunts that were, you know, in the convent, and an uncle that was behind uh, the priest, going to be a priest and studying. It's, that's how she's out of super, you know, um, Catholic, and then she was in school, and they had to, the Catholic school closed and switched her over to a public school, and in that public school was a little Baptist girl that began to talk to her and invite her to church, and she went to a little softball game that they were having at the church, and they were on the bus, and the young preacher got up and preached Jesus, preached salvation, and she heard for the first time the pure, unadulterated gospel and got saved at that time, and then at 18, she went to Bible school in Michigan for a year or two and then transferred over to Bob Jones, and that's where I met her. So, 
Um, the Lord's good. We were married in 86. And so then, and for me, I was saved in 1971 as a 10-year-old boy. And um, this old preacher came over to our house from the local church. And um, mom had devotions with us. Mom was not really serving the Lord, but she still knew to read the Bible to her children every night and pray with us. And, and of course, we were like, now nah, lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord in my soul to keep a little jingle thing. And and uh, we didn't know the Lord, but this preacher came over and at 10 led me to the Lord, I believe, and called on the Lord. And then dad was stationed at uh, Sumter, South Carolina, at the Air Force Base. And then we moved to North Carolina after he retired and settled there. And I was never in church. Dad was a very lost man. Mom was just nominal, hit and miss, go to church. Um, but then after I got saved, so I'm saying I was never really discipled or grew. And then... then um, uh, I began. I went to a tent meeting where this guy was, this old country boy was preaching outdoors, and he was preaching on hell, and just shook me up. And I was like, man, I need to get right with God. I knew I was saved, but I, you know, I prayed and this and that. And but I was just a super backwoods. I mean, I never even read a book till I was 22 years old. I couldn't even read at 18, 19, 20. So, I mean, I was just that kind of guy. I was hunting, fishing. Um, you know, smoking pot and just whatever with the boys, you know, just not serving the Lord, obviously. But, but And that's another story. But anyhow, so as I, as I really got shook up and, and gave my, we call it rededicate your life, but went forward and just repented and got right with the Lord. And then people started saying, oh, Mickey got saved. And I said, no, I was saved. And I, no, you got saved. And I said, then I got all confused, like, okay. I was already saved and baptized, and they're saying, you need to be baptized. So I got baptized, and then I felt bad. Well, I was already baptized. And I was then I, for about a year, I'm like, Lord, am I saved or not? Because somebody said, if you, if you think you're saved and you pray, Lord, um, save me if I'm not saved, then that means you don't know if you're lost. And so I'm just like all, like, and then I'm just crying out to the Lord, and finally, after a year or so, settled that. And, but meanwhile, I'm, I'm really winning my friends to the Lord and filling the whole pew at church and and just exciting, I remember throwing my, I had tons of, you know, ZZ Top and Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. And I just threw it all in the river. And then it went around the school, Mickey's a preacher. He threw his rock and roll away and all this stuff. And it was funny. Yeah, but uh, so the Lord began to do a great work in my life. And um, so I started going to Sunday school. And then the Sunday school teacher calls on me to read. Uh-oh. In front of everybody. And so I stumbled along. I probably could read on the, I don't know, second grade level maybe, but I, you know, and he has helped me. This is so embarrassing. I went up after I said, now, I am never coming back if you're ever going to call me to read again. <laughs> you know, so he said, That's, so I won't call him. So he began to disciple me and um, actually teach me how to read. We'd sit down after church on the steps and we'd read a little bit. And I, I got to where I could read. And, and so, so um, basically, I... Uh, I want to stick with my notes just a little bit here so I don't get out of hand here. So at, um, basically that's who I was. Um, and at 18, surrendered, dedicated my life, just 100% going for it and realizing, wow, I'm a real loser in a lot of ways. I can't read. I can't, I'm not useful to the Lord. But, but I was really praying and crying out to the Lord. And I heard some old guy talking about prayer warriors at old. And I thought, okay, that's what I am. I'm going to be a man of prayer. So I just started getting up early, praying an hour or two, and praying 
three or four hours at night. Just I just was kind of a loner kind of guy. And I just like to walk down the road and in the woods. And I just began to pray. I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the woods. I, I heard about this old guy in England that went behind his house and camped out for a day or two and prayed. And I thought, I'm going to do that. So I told my mom, you know, um, I'm 18 or 19. I said, hey, well, I'm going up in the forest and I'm going to take a tent and I'll be back in one, two, or three weeks, you know. <laughs> and so I went and I just stayed two or three weeks and just prayed and it was just glorious. It was wonderful. And I had my Bible, of course, and I'm stumbling along and I could read a chapter in 30 minutes or whatever and, and uh, 15 minutes, I don't know. So every year I started going to the woods two or three weeks and just praying. And one year I was, I was in the woods and, and I, I was just laying there in the tent and I was saying, Lord, I'm so sorry that you can't use me. I'm sorry my sisters. She's a little gangster. They robbed houses and she drove the getaway. Her husband would go in the store and steal a bunch of stuff and run out in the car and she'd drive away. And little gangsters and my family was druggies and this and that. But my immediate family was a bit normal because dad was in the Air Force and we had a real kind of a normal situation until... You know, that didn't sound too normal, did it? Normal worldly situation. And so I was just telling the Lord, I'm just sorry that my family's no good. I'm sorry I can't read. I've cheated in school. I'm sorry I'm, you can't use me. I just, you know, I'm just so sorry that, but I, I really want to dedicate my life to you to pray. I just want to pray for the church and my family. And, and, and so I was laying there and I just opened my Bible up and I began to read this. And, and it just was like, it was like, I'm in that state, right? And I read this. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. And I just started weeping, you know, as this 21-year-old guy, wow, I'm just the kind of guy you can use, you know. Then that scared me. I was like, oh no, the Lord's going to use me. <laughs> so, please don't use me kind of feeling. <laughs> but I realized, and I now as I'm older realize that was really my calling or the first part of my calling, though I didn't take it in like... Oh, I'm called to be a preacher. I mean, that would have just, oh, that would have killed me if the Lord, if I thought I was supposed to be a preacher or missionary or something, because I'm still not reading good. And so the next year, I go back to the woods. I'm working for North American Vine Lines, moving furniture. And uh, my boss is a believer, and he knows I go to the woods every day. And I was working after school every day and all summer. And, and he says, hey, Mickey, I want to buy a new truck, and I want to get a commitment out of you for five years to drive this truck and pay it off and and so he said I want you when you go to the woods get that settled if you're gonna come and work you know work his truck off and I said alright so I went to the woods I'm gonna find out the Lord's will and I'm praying and I'm 21 I think and and um, said Lord whatever you want me to do I'll do you know and and all of a sudden the Lord put on my heart Bob Jones University because that's the guy that discipled me do you know Bob Jones it's just you know, it's not a southern kind of school. It's not, I'm thinking all our, my friends went to like Harold Seitler where this is, you know, southern preaching, hollering, and this people are like all Yankees and wearing robes. And I'm like, Lord, that's a Yankee school. And it's like, 
So, sorry if I offend anybody. That's the way Southerners are. So, um, so the Lord dealt with Bob Jones, and I said, Oh, Lord, I'll do anything, but please don't make me go to school. I just was begging, crying, because, you know, I could hardly bear it through school. I couldn't read, you know. I just barely made it. I'm a C student. I'm just average below average. And, and so, sure enough, I had to surrender to go to Bob Jones. And I just said, Okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. That was 20 till, right? 20, no, please tell me again. I'm sorry. Okay, perfect. I sometimes freak out when I see. Okay, so, because I'm not even barely in my nose. So I got to get to the call. But uh, the Lord will use whatever here. So, um, so I knew I was supposed to go to Bob Jones. And then I would just happen to be thumbing through my Bible. And, and I just stumbled onto this verse, which was obvious the Lord... Now I know he was guiding me to this, but um, so I turned to this verse. I was stumbling through. I read this. You're going to crack up. Um, I don't want to tell you. I don't want you to turn there so you won't read ahead of me. I'm so slow. Okay. When a young, let's see. When a man hath taken a new wife and shall not, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but sh- he shall be free at home one year and cheer up his wife, which he, hath, which he hath taken. So, I just had this thought, Lord, okay, if I have to go to school, I'm not a, I don't bargain with the Lord, but I was just praying. Lord, if I have to go to school, will you give me a good woman and let us come back and camp out in the woods and pray like this for a whole year? <laughs> like this. And I just was... That was my, okay, I'm going to go to school, and I, I prayed. I, I'm so specific when I pray, I write it down. And I, I, like, I wrote, I want to come back for a year with this woman, and Lord, would, would you let her be a Yankee? I said, I've seen these Yankees at the Wilds Christian Camp, and these women are mature and godly, and I kind of want a Yankee, Lord. And if you give me a Yankee, it'll broaden my scope. And that's what I was praying. And, and, it, and that was the first thing on my list. Then I said, Lord, you know, I took pottery in high school to get out of hard classes, but I became a good potter. I was actually selling some pottery in the 12th grade and, and um, you know, assistant teacher with my teacher because I could throw a pot, you know. I couldn't read or write hardly, but I could do something with my hands. So I said, I need an artist that could paint our pottery. If you want to use us somehow, then we would be a good team. And uh, so broaden my scope, make us a team. And then I'm like... Lord, you know I've got to have a straight-A student. I need this woman to be straight-A student because I can't even understand what I'm reading half the time, most less fill out paperwork, you know. And so I'm this, this is me. I'm this, I need a Yankee, a straight-A student. And Lord, I kind of like this Indian-type woman. Give me some kind of Indian-type woman. And then um, uh, give me um, a modest woman and a woman that loves the Bible. And so I had this whole list, and I began to pray for it. And I prayed for it every year at school and actually started fasting every Wednesday. Lord, if she has a boyfriend, get rid of him. And Lord, you know, that's the way I'm praying. Lord, help this woman to be pure and to train her. And, and so I'm praying, and I begin to, my last year in school, I'm like, okay, she's going to appear somewhere. And so I'm fasting and praying. I bought her rings, bro. <laughs> I had the rings. Um, I was ready. And then um, one day, um, I wanted to have a portrait painted of my sister that had died. And I went to the art department at Bob Jones. I said, hey, I want to have a portrait painted. Who's your best 
um, portrait. I was looking for a teacher. They said, well, we have a student that's this amazing uh, award-winning portrait painter. And uh, it was Trina. So I, I go into this basket weaving class. And she's sitting in there and she's doing her work and she's talking to this other girl, giving her testimony. And I just kind of listened. I'm like, wow, that's cool. And then I came up and I showed her some pictures and asked her if she could paint my... She said, I said, can I walk you to your next class? And so I walked her to her next class and I don't know what happened, but I just began to ask her, you know, where are you from? I just began to... She says I asked her all these questions, but I know I didn't. I couldn't ask you if you were a straight-A student. But... Um, I began to ask her questions. It was just something was happening. And I thought, this is the woman for me. And so I went home that night and I pulled my rings out and I held them up. And I said, Lord, when do you want me to give them to her? <laughs> I knew. So I got the album and i looking at all the students trying to find. I just knew Trina. And um, man, she was the last girl on the page in the album. Trina Zamet. You know, she was the Z, the last one in the whole, you know, school picture album. So I found her, got her name, and called her and asked her out. You know, we were both town students, so we were able, I was able to take her out. I asked her to a revival meeting. So every day for the next five days, we went to this revival meeting over the mountain where my home was. And um, then we went to the local church there, and they had like a barbecue. It was real southern, real different from her. And I tried to warn her. I said... Have you ever been to like a, maybe a black church or anything like that where they're just really happy? And I said, this is very Southern, praise the Lord, preach it, brother, you know, that kind of church. I said, we're not charismatic enough, but we're just a lively kind of church. Yeah, I've, I've been to a black church. I used to have, I mean, we're not a black church, but I was trying to get this Yankee into my church. So we go and, and um, we're there and, and so I know this is her, so. The next day was Sunday, and I didn't know how to propose or nothing, so I had her rings. I no, only knew her seven days. Because when I was praying, I held the rings up. I said, Lord, when should I give them to her? The thought came to mind, give her a week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so seven days later, I knew I'm going to ask her to marry me. I know her good. I've known her seven days. And so we stopped at a stop sign, and I, it was Mother's Day. And I don't have sense to how to do this. And I pulled my rings out and I always had a dream of having 10 boys, preacher boys. You know, I pulled my rings out and I said, Trina, I want my 10 sons to know you got your rings on Mother's Day. And I, <laughs> and she said, I do or I will. <laughs> I didn't even ask her. I just handed her the rings. <laughs> so we went to church and she's beaming and glowing and, um, we got married eight months later because you couldn't get married at Bob Jones unless she was on Christmas or summer break. So we got married Christmas. And uh, so anyhow, there's a lot to say. I, I got to get on with it. Um, so sure enough, um, she was from Michigan. Everything on my list. She was everything on my list. Um, the rings even fit. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she was from Michigan. She was a painter, straight A student, modest Love the Bible. She actually had a friend that was her artist trainer. The, the guy that trained her was this different kind of guy in Michigan. They live on, she's from a little, lives on an island in Michigan called the Grosseal between Detroit and Canada. So, and this guy went to another island where, where no people were for three months out of the year and just painted. And he was really famous in his area and sold a lot of paintings. So she was familiar with going to the woods. So I 
when we got married, or even before we got married, I said, well, our honeymoon, we're going to go live in the woods for a year. <laughs> so she was familiar, and we did. We, we camped out in the mountains. We found, you can't just go camp out in the forest. So I found this lady that had 300 acres of land that shot up into some paper mill and forest land, and it was like thousands of acres of wilderness. So she, I said, can we go this was a lost lady, and I told her everything, and I said, and I want to take my woman and go live in your woods, if you would allow me. And she said, she's old, like, oh, sabbatical. I said, yes, you can do it. And so we went and camped out on her land, and uh, it was amazing. Ten years later, she gave us that land, uh, you know, half a million dollars worth of land, you know, bear and deer and trout, and anyhow, that's another story. But... So it's amazing. God really answered that prayer. And so, so now, you know, let me jump on. So now, when we, so we got married. She still had two semesters of school, so we couldn't do our honeymoon until she graduated. But I did a little quick honeymoon for a week. And we went to a revival meeting. And we went to this revival meeting because they gave you a free motel. <laughs> and uh, so we got free preaching, free motel, free food. What better honeymoon could could a poor college person need so anyhow this man came up and this hunt in our honeymoon at the church and and just laid it on us i need you guys in our ministry because um as we had testified somehow he knew she was a graphic artist and and he really wanted to hire us for her so because she worked in a ministry drawing and gra- so anyhow he asked us to come work in the ministry so when we finished our honeymoon for a year in the Woods, we went straight into the ministry at, in Ohio, which was an eight-hour drive away from home, and we settled in Ohio printing gospel tracts and that type of work. So in the gospel publishing, um, I, I became a deacon in the church and a Sunday school teacher, and uh, we started our pottery business, and, and we were there for 14 years. So that was, that was just the stages of our life. And and we bought this, he's like, tells me, well, we've got like, um, you know, some of the people in the ministry, they live in like the welfare housing and all. I said, I don't do that. I mean, I'll live in a barn before I live. And not, nothing against people that are getting help, but I didn't need help. I'd rather work, I'd rather live in the barn. <laughs> you know, I, I said, we just came out of the woods. We can, we can find something to live in. So we did. We found this little old 130-year-old cabin. And, you know, we just started remodeling, living, and, and I, they said it had a cistern. I said, now, what's a cistern? <laughs> this is a big hole in the ground where you've got to go haul your water to it. And so we just, the Lord was training us. That's what I, I'm wanting you to see. The reason I want to give you this testimony, you know, here I am, a guy that can't even read. Here's a guy, you know, I'm, I'm giving the prayer because I know I can't be used to the Lord, and the Lord shows me, you know, I can use anybody. And then, you know, he gives me the desires of my heart, gives me the wife. And then, you know, he gives me another desire of my heart and to live in the woods. And it's total training to live in Mongolia where there's no electricity, no water. There's outhouses, 40 below zero, and it's the other side of the world. And, you know, that kind of thing. And I have this very smart wife who can help with the paperwork, and we can just do this. You know, and we can get in with our pottery and business. And I've had training as a deacon. I've been to Bible school for three years. Because um, when the Lord called me Bob Jones, I just told the guy, you know, I, don't, I didn't know any. I said, I just want to go learn about Jesus. 
you know, and so I did a little like um, how to help your pastor, kind of associate's degree on Christian lay leadership. And just, I said, I just want to learn about Jesus and be a help in my church. So that's the kind of schooling I had. So you get a little bit of everything, radio and TV and uh, how to paint your church, how to serve your pastor, how to do this and that. And that was kind of, you know, and you have all the books of the Bible and your old New Testament service. So that was the kind of schooling I had. It wasn't zeroed in on mission schooling. So am I rambling too much, you guys with me? I'm giving you just an overview of, wow, here's kind of a nobody that, God's done great things in the ministry. You wouldn't believe I have doctors and lawyers answering to me. And if they only knew really who I was, it'd be cracking up. But, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a interesting how the Lord works. So, um, so, let me get on with this calling here. So, let me see where I'm at. So, we buy this old house. I'm going to skip some of that. And we, I'm reading Ecclesiastes. This, the Lord's dealing with me about being debt-free. I put the house, this is almost sounds untrue, but I put a sign out on in the front yard and we sold it that day. And then an old man in the church came up and said, I just bought an old farmhouse and, and I need somebody to live in it and I'll give you real cheap rent. Will you live in it? And we said, sure, <laughs> we don't have anywhere to live. Um, we want to be debt free. And so we rent a 160 acre farm for $300 deer everywhere and big garden fruit trees so we can everything and kill all the deer we want and and living off the land really and because we were kind of at that point we're homeschool home business we're having our children at home we're just those kind of people and um so so then this lady gives us that land um and I had this desire to raise my boys to be missionaries so I'm going to go back in this piece of land in the wilderness kind of build a cabin, have some solar and gravity water and just train my boys to be tough and live off the land and, and then the Lord called, the Lord's, this lady gives the land, we go, I'm in Ohio, we're driving back and forth to North Carolina, I'm in Ohio, I'll throw two, three, four hundred pieces of pottery and then Trina has to paint every pottery, right? So I leave to North Carolina two, three, four weeks, start cutting trees, I bought a little sawmill, we start building a house from scratch and and then I come home, fire all the pottery, sit, take them to the gallery, sell them, then throw two or three hundred more pots, go to North Carolina, work on the place, come back, fire the pots. We did that for seven years. And we build this house from scratch, debt-free kind of thing. And, and so these stages of my life, the Lord's teaching me to build. He's teaching me to survive. He's teaching me all these things. I'm a deacon. He's teaching me many things. And, and so as I'm building this house I'm in this um, I'm in much prayer that's just who I am and 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 I'm saying Lord you know I'm out of the ministry now I'm not really printing gospel tracts I'm just in business and and I'm feeling like that's lesser and the Lord's teaching me no this is this is service too you know you're and so I'm seeing he's teaching me to be a businessman he's teaching me to be all these things how to live in the woods how to survive and I know this now but then I I didn't know this, that he's, he did a lot of training to get you here. We all have the same testimony. And so I'm praying, I'm seeking the Lord, and, and um, I begin to say, Lord, I'm 38 and a half, I'm going to be 40. My life is half over. And it is funny, but it's so true. It's beyond half over. We got three score and ten, you know, 70 years. And if you're strong and healthy, you might live to 80 or beyond but it's harder and it's, it's tougher for people over 70 and the Bible just teaches us that so we need to number our days, right? So I'm saying, Lord, I'm, 
I'm half done here. Is, am I missing anything? Is there anything? I'm coming to live in the woods. Is this right? Do you, is this, of course I'm praying this all along, but it's zeroing in on, Lord, is there anything else you want me to do? And I'm just feeling like, really what, what my call all surrounds is the judgment seat of Christ. One day I'm going to stand before my Maker. And that's always been a weight on me that I need to, not a weird way, but just a natural way, like, like the Lord's dad's coming home. Did I get all my work done? Because my dad, he would always do these little trips to Alaska and work six months. Or he'd go to Saudi Arabia and get a little job for a year because he was ex-military and he could do this as a retired person. But when he left, I had a whole notebook, paint the barn. do. I had a whole list of work that I had to do. And that's always taught me, you know, the Lord's got a list for us to do. And I, when dad comes home, I got to have this stuff done. And you know, that kind of thing. So I feel that pressure of the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to give an account. For, and I'm just saying, Lord, you know, I'm half done. Is there anything you want me to do? And then I'm on one of my times home um, to throw pottery and this and that. And the house is almost finished. And I'm, I'm just, I'm waking up at night. And you ever just wake up and feel like somebody's in your room or somebody's in your house and you listen, you just kind of... I was just waking up... And then I would just say, Lord, what would you have me to do? That was a burden in my heart. Lord, what would you have me to do? I was very happy in my life state. We, we had a great life and we enjoyed working in this and that. And we were making a lot of money in the pottery and we were giving land. Everything was good, building a house. And it, was, it wasn't like I was wanting a life change, you know, but I was concerned. I'm half done. And so at that point, a missionary comes through, an Australian guy called Gil Anger. He's a, a public school teacher in Australia, and he comes to America three, three months a year and preaches missions. And this guy, he's like an unusual, rough guy. He's all, he's all but cussing. He's like, you Americans, you know, you got your two or three cars, you got your comfort, you got your food. You, and he's like really laying it on us. And he's, he's like, okay, for instance, you Baptists, you know. I'm in a little independent Baptist. Okay, here's your missionaries, and he shows. Okay, how come... All your missionaries are in the warm climate. Is it too hard other places? You know? And he's like, you Baptists, you look at you in Mexico. Look at all of you over here. And he's like, who's going to... And he has the 1040 laterals around the globe. Who's going to Baghdad? Who's going to Mongolia? Who's going... And he just preaches the whole world. And he's like, um, who's going to Mongolia, you know... Who's going to go where there's, it's hard. You have to be a man. Are you afraid your little boy will break his arm? You know, and he's real smart alecky kind of. And he's like, boy, and he like offends your manhood. And you're like, I'll go. You know, I'm thinking I'll go. And so afterwards I went up and I said, brother, you act like we won't go. I said, but a man has to be called. You can't just be ruffled and be a self-appointed man. I mean, God has to call you to go to wherever you go. And he says, that's right. He says, but I can see in you. you you're like this. you got your foot up. I can see you're a, a ready man. He said, but, but um, he, he's talking like that. And my pastor comes up. And this is super unusual for my pastor. He's a military guy, kind of an awkward guy. And he's like um, a little socially awkward. But he just comes up to me and he puts his arm. And he says, Mickey, you are called. <laughs> you are called to preach. You're called to the mission field and you are running. And I said, preacher, I mean, I know I'm not running. A man knows if he's running. I mean, I'm seeking the Lord, but 
He said, brother, for the last years, every preacher that comes through here, I hear you guys talking, you end up talking about his call. That's what people do when they're called. You talk to other men about their call, and you're wondering, and you're fishing around, and you want to hear their experience. And he said, you're called and running, and you need to settle that. And that that was the first time I ever thought of that. And so I'm driving home, and I tell Trina, I said, wow, you know, did anything stick out to you on the map? She says, Mongolia did. And I said, really? She said, yeah, I told the Lord we could do that. And I said, you did? And I said, well, guess what? The preacher says we're called and running from the Lord. <laughs> so we just laughed. But I'm heavy, you know. And I said, I'm going to stop by Brother McCammon's, this old godly man on the way home from church. So I dropped by his house, and I just said, Brother McCammon, you know, I just wanted five minutes before you guys eat lunch. How does a man know if he's called? What is that now? And he's, he sits there a minute, and he says, well... He said, the Lord called me when I was five, and uh, I just kind of knew I was supposed to be a preacher when I got old. And he said, but Mickey, I'll tell you the best way to know it. The best way for you to know if you're called is if your pastor sees it in you. <laughs> and I really got this sinking gut, sick feeling. Like, am I this dumb? I mean, how? It, but I, I wasn't convinced I was called, but boy, did that put me on reality check. And so... I went home and I go to the barn and I always pace. I don't get on my knees because I'll go to sleep, you know, but I pace or walk and I'm pacing around the barn for a few hours. Lord, are you calling me? And, you know, and I'm just really seeking this thing out. And a verse comes to mind that the wicked and adulterous generation seeketh the sign. And I said, Lord, don't give me no sign. <laughs> I don't want a sign. I don't want to say if I see Mongolia written on the side of a transfer truck, I know I'm supposed to go. All the things that people do. But I just like, Lord... But people, they know. They have a testimony and they know how, how the Lord called them. But this is just me and you hear the preacher and you hear all this. And that did stand out to me on the map, Lord. But, I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to. I see the Bible says go. I, I, I see it. And, and so that was my state. And, I, and then I'm at the barn. I said, Lord, i got to go to work. And I tore up. And, and um, another verse came to mind that the just shall live by faith. And I went, oh, Lord, that's, that's, that's rough. So by faith, i got to go to Mongolia? <laughs> just, it wasn't good enough for, as a call for me. I just said, Lord, that's risky. It feels risky. I mean, i got to tell people I'm just called to go to Mongolia by faith. I mean, I know the Scripture says go. I see the pastor. I see this. So I'm tore up like that. And I'm thinking, okay, all i got is the just shall live by faith. And I think the Lord wants me to go. But I do feel backed into a corner like I think the Lord might be calling me. So the Wednesday night I went to church. I said, Pastor, I think the Lord might be calling me. And so he says, get up there right now. Church hadn't started. Go tell the church right now. So I had to get up and say, church, Pastor wants me to tell you something. And it, we're all farmers and country fellows, poorest county in Adams County, poorest county in Ohio. And I said, church, I think the Lord might be calling me to, to the mission field. And... Um, and uh, but I had been reading because I had two or three days and I was in Acts and I, Acts popped in mind and I said but I'm not going unless you send me I don't even know why I said that but some guy some old farmer says I'll give 500 <laughs> and then this guy says I'll give 500 that guy's I'll give 500 I'll give 500 and $5,500 later um, my pastor is this big marine guy awkward he walks up and he slaps me a little too hard on the back. <laughs> Points at the door and says, go, we send you. 
And I'm like, oh, Lord, help us. This is not the way it happens. This is not right. And it just not like everybody else. So I had to buy a plane ticket, you know. <laughs> so we did our survey trip, and we've been laughing ever since. And so I come home, and my first meeting is a little kind of a home church. It just happened to be in Florida at NASA with this rocket scientist. He gets me down, and I tell this testimony. And he comes up, puts his arm around me, and he says, Church, I just don't see this as a biblical calling. It sounds good, but it's not really Bible. I don't think he's called, you know. And boy, like the hair raised up on the back of my neck, I looked at him, I said, I'm called. I'm called. God's called me. And then he starts laughing. That's what I want to hear, brother. <laughs> Those smart guys can be tricky. But he knew what I needed to say. I needed to own it. And I didn't never, I never owned it till that time. And uh, so my time is up. And that's half of my testimony. <laughs> I wish I could tell you more. It's just exciting. Um, but I hope you can see, you know, it can look big. I wish. I can't. <laughs> There's, it's just neat. Um, I wish you could see how common... I think you can see how common fellow I am. I'm a rock mason, a potter, and and didn't read a book till I went to Bible college. And the Bible college is a, was a nightmare, you know. I barely made it. You C's. and you know, I I got up in the morning at four and prayed two three hours before class, and went to class and ran to the another room and prayed, and then went to the next class and ran to another little piano shacks where the people practiced and prayed, and so it was like that for three or four years, three years, and so anyhow. There's great stuff in our, all of our testimonies of survival and, and yielding. And, and it's just, it's not weird, but it's just amazing what God can end up doing with us if we'll just say, I, I will. I think my greatest ability as a young man or as man is just um, availability. You know, just saying, okay. But there's still a lot of fear and heaviness in not being capable, you know, or being embarrassed. You know, just like I was at Ellerslie and they're calling on the guys, okay, we're going to do this. And they, they put up a subject and say, okay, somebody come up here and give me five minutes on joy. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help us. Or give me something on this. And you got to like point blank know the scriptures. I can't even remember nothing. You know, <laughs> I got to have my outline. And so even when the Lord puts you in the job, you just do it and work hard. And uh, he really does the job. But if you're there, he needs a tool. So I just might encourage you to just uh, say, I will, or be willing for whatever. You know, and missionary, I didn't know what a missionary was till I became a missionary and realized, wow, I was a missionary back home. All you do is meet people, invite them to your home, have dinner, be hospitable, lead them, you know, get to know, live with people, and they, they end up getting saved. You lead them to the Lord, you give them the gospel. I mean, just very natural. We're all missionaries. We're all to do that. I just happened to go overseas. Um, so anyhow, I could ramble on. You go ahead, brother. I went five, five minutes past. Sorry. Yeah, that would be great. And then we'll send you a link to the 
video. Wow, where'd you get this? <laughs> the documentary. Okay, that's what we show was showing four years ago. This is not the documentary. The documentary is like a professional thing from Europe. They came out and you know did a forty-five. No, actually, on why are you here in the middle of nowhere? They were secular teachers. They secular. came out there and just stayed with us a week and asked questions. Yeah. And then we filmed the wolf hunt and our life and all the things that we're doing. And, you know, they're lost people and they, they're really coming at us. Okay, so we're all lost in your state, all these Buddhists. And it's really good. It's really interesting and covers a pretty honest view of what a missionary is doing. This will told Amos women prophesying a message of repentance to Israel, crying out to them to repent, come back to the Lord. Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do you prophesy. But no longer prophesy at Bethel. It is a sanctuary of the king in a Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore things. But the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. And that's a call. It's so interesting that it blessed me how the Lord uses even a sense of humor in helping us understand and hear the call. Right? He knows how to minister his grace to each of us and to give us, to just lead us along. He's a good shepherd into fulfilling that call that he has in life. And each of us are called by God to, we have been, as Ephesians tells us, We've been predestined to be conformed to his image. That's high calling Christ Jesus. So thank you for sharing that with us. Sure has been enjoyed. And we welcome you back anytime you come to the US. Please let, let us know if you or someone you always have an open invitation here. And share share the word about that's why I start meeting. We have a meal prepared, so we invite you all to stay and fellowship with us and, uh, and uh, be together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I bless you for this time that even before the world was created, you knew each of us going to sit here this morning. Even before we were born, you knew this day you would sit here. Use it to 
inspire us. Use it to encourage us to take a step of faith. Use it to remind us that you're the Father. Thank you for this food. We pray that you would keep us safe today as we fellowship together. As we share this food, Lord, we pray for many who have struggled with COVID, who have even died, Lord, who have experienced a sickness that will bring healing and grace to our nations to the world. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would protect your people today as we fellowship together.